Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii. We want to thank you all for starting your week off with us here. Uh, we did have a little bit of a schedule mix-up for those of you who <laughs> pay attention to what we say sometime and who we tease for the next week. Uh, there was a mix-up, uh, but we're very lucky to have a special guest with us this morning. That's right. Joining us is UH President David Lassner to talk about a lot of the news that the university has been making. Good morning, Mr. President. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we want to start off with some news that actually was uh, a little while ago announced, um, and that was that the university will be mandating vaccines for those on campus. Tell us how you came to that decision and how you're enforcing it. Thanks. Um, so we came to the decision actually after pretty significant thought. Uh, we watched a number of universities on the continent announce uh, vaccination requirements. Uh, I think what really put us uh, over the top was the new guidance from the Centers for Disease Control, uh, CDC, uh, just over a week ago, well, about two weeks ago, um, saying that their recommendation was that fully vaccinated people uh, would not need to wear masks. And while that is still rippling through the Hawaii regulations, um, we saw that that could really help us bring back a healthy and more natural and normal fall semester for our students. Um, so we looked into the, um, you know, the challenges, the opportunities, and came to the conclusion that this was the best thing we could do to ensure a safe and healthy return to instruction across our 10 campuses for the fall. Uh, so from a logistical standpoint, what does that look like for a student? Do they have to upload their vaccination card? How are you enforcing and tracking those students coming back to campus and making sure that they are the ones that have gotten vaccinated? So we're working through the logistic details, uh, but I really want to emphasize uh, vaccination requirements are nothing new for UH. We've had them for decades. So before you can enroll on a campus, you've got to get a TB test. You have to be vaccinated for um, MMR, uh, measles, mumps, rubella, um, a couple other things, if, and one additional one if you want to live in student housing. So um, we have the students produce the evidence. In this case, it would be a, a vaccination card. We enter the status into our student information system, which protects all of their privacy considerations. So it's pretty straightforward for us, really. It's an extension of the health clearance requirements that we've had in place for decades. So assuming that the vast majority of the students, obviously, I would imagine that there might be a few exemptions here and there because of medical concerns and what have you, but assuming that most of the students will be vaccinated, does that mean that classes will just be back to normal full capacity in the fall? What is school actually going to look like? So, you know, this is, um, it's a tricky situation because we are, this is the Wayne Gretzky quote, we're skating to where the puck will be. So we don't know exactly what all the requirements will be by August, uh, but what we are certainly hoping for, and it was foreshadowed by um, um, Health Department Director Libby Char, MD, one of our proud graduates, um, who believes it looks like it may be possible for us to um, go back to normal, no masks and no physical distancing requirements. But we're not there yet. There's no guarantees in this world, um, but that's what we're aiming for. And we think the vaccination requirement is the best way to get there. And so for those students who opt not to get the vac uh, vaccination for whatever reason, there is still the option that you're presenting to continue on with virtual learning. 
what does that experience look like for them? Is it basically a feed of the in-classroom uh, in classes? What does that virtual experience look like for those students? So first, let me say um, there's a difference between people who claim a legitimate exemption, which we also allow for the current vaccination requirements. So if there's a health reason to not be vaccinated, if there's a religious reason to not be vaccinated, uh, we will find a way for them to participate on campus, uh, perhaps with a masking requirement, uh, perhaps with regular testing requirements. We have a little bit of time to work through what that would look like. Um, that is different than somebody who just says, I don't wanna be vaccinated. And, and I also wanna emphasize that this requirement will not go into place uh, until and unless at least one of the vaccines is approved with um, a non-emergency authorization that is fully authorized by the FDA. Uh, because we know that there are people who are concerned uh, that these uh, the current vaccines in the US are authorized for emergency use only. But to answer more directly your question, so somebody who simply says, I do not want to be vaccinated. Um, they'll have really a couple of choices. One is we do have a number of fully online programs at most of our campuses. So they could enroll in a program that is designed from the get-go to be fully online. Um, the second option is on all of our campuses, we've created what we um, variously call um, here and there or here or there classrooms. These are classrooms that are equipped with cameras, microphones, students in the classroom, uh, but we can also broadcast out by, via Zoom uh, or some other technology for students to participate from home. We've identified all of our classrooms, our classes as such in our course catalog. So somebody could opt to participate in different ways in online or here in their courses and uh, basically take on the their option. Uh, not every course is available that way. We've got, for example, at Manoa, uh, 50 or 60 classrooms that we expect to be pretty heavily utilized uh, that can be used for here and there kinds of courses. How far out does that uh, requirement go? In other words, are you requiring all of the vendors who come on campus? Because, you know, you sort of think about it, UH, the campuses will be these giant bubbles and you don't necessarily want people coming into those bubbles who are not vaccinated. But that said, you're in the middle of a city or in the middle of a community, depending on the campus. So you can't completely restrict. Um, but I, I wonder how far that extends out, for instance, to fans who come to a sporting event or to vendors who come on campus to deliver whatever materials are needed, how far out does that vaccine mandate go? So um, for now, we're not looking at requiring um, vendors, for example. Um, we may have health checks, which the same kind of thing you see when you go to the dentist or you know certain kinds of appointments where you get uh, your temperature checked and scanned and asked a couple of questions. That would be more standard protocol. We actually have an app for that. And when people come to the campus now, we ask them to do a self-health check. Are you feeling feverish? Have you traveled out? Are you under quarantine from the state? So all of those kinds of things. Again, we're working through the details. We'll be complying with the um, state and county requirements that are applicable to us. Those are a moving target, of course, um, as well. So that's what we'll pay attention to. Um, we haven't really determined what we can do with fans. Uh, but um, there's a possibility we'll be requiring vaccination for people to attend sporting events without physical distancing and without masks, which we think would be a superior fan experience. 
I, I want to go back to that here or there concept that you just spoke about earlier, uh, because when you think about this moving forward, let's say five years from now, uh, one of the things that this pandemic had the benefits of it is it really pushed technology forward uh, in terms of people meeting virtually. Could you see moving forward this option for students to maybe just watch it from their dorm room or attend class via Zoom uh, and sometimes being in classroom? How do you think the future of the classroom dynamics will change now that virtual learning has become uh, really a, a part of just everyday learning for you know students in elementary all the way up through college? So, you know, it's interesting. We've been doing distance learning at UH. It's now over 30 years and we've actually used here or there technology before we could do it over the internet. We had a um, interactive television system called HITS and it was actually a here or there concept where we had the faculty member in a room, usually, but not always at Manoa with, you know, 20 or 30 students there and big monitors in the back of the room with students from neighbor islands. Um, so we absolutely are committed to this kind of technology. Um, and I think you're absolutely right, Ryan. Um, there are a number of really positive benefits, I think, uh, when we look back on this pandemic and one of them for higher education and certainly UH is we will be making much greater use of technology to provide increased uh, access to higher education opportunity across the islands. Not every program is available on every island. And um, our faculty were amazingly creative in first doing the um, kind of instant pivot last spring when we closed down our campuses and then more thoughtfully embracing technology over this last academic year. Um, you know, I'm really proud to say we, we've actually awarded more degrees, it looks like this academic year than the prior year. So um, we've really kept our stride in keeping students moving through our system with success. Um, and I think not only will it change the classroom experience with technology, um, it's also gonna change the way we work. Uh, we've had an interim COVID telework policy in place. And as we phase that out, we're looking at what a non-COVID telework policy would look like um, as we understand who can effectively work from home and where has that been challenges. I think our student support services um, have also benefited from being online. And while we return to providing those services in person, financial aid, counseling, some of those other things, advising, um, will also benefit from supporting students who for one reason or another are really um, better able to take advantage of our services in an online electronic environment. So lots of good stuff to take out of this uh, in spite of the pain. Uh, we like to bring in questions from the audience. Stephanie has one reacting to some news over the weekend. Stephanie says, can you talk about the budget cuts that are coming and the financial impacts related to COVID, how that might affect programming and staffing throughout the system? Um, Andrew Gomes had a really lengthy piece that came out yesterday in the Star Advertiser talking about um, some severe cuts that the legislature made and the ripple effect that will have in our community. Just first of all, what are, what are your thoughts? And then um, more specifically to Stephanie's question, what is going to suffer? Thanks, Stephanie, and um, hope you're doing well over there on Hawaii Island. Um, so let me, let me maybe start with um, the story that came out yesterday in the Star Advertiser. Thank you for having us here today. Um, and it was a report on a, um, a story on a new report out of UHERO. Um, it updated the economic impact of, 
UH, the UH system across the state. And it was pretty remarkable. And you hear I was about as trusted as you get in this state and in this business. It pointed out, um, I, I think I want to say two things. One is the economic benefit to the entire state. So general fund appropriations of about 500 million um, uh, result in UH spending directly over 2.3 billion. This is for the last complete fiscal year, FY20. Um, and then that generates a total of about 3.6 billion in uh, local business sales, uh, a billion in employee earnings, uh, 186 million in state tax revenues, and literally supporting tens of thousands of jobs across the islands. So we're a huge economic sector in the state at 3%. UH is bigger than agriculture. Uh, we're bigger than utilities, and people don't think of us that way. Um, and and we really are that impactful on the economy. Uh, but the second part of it that I want to emphasize is the benefit to students. And Uhiro did a great job. Um, they had previously looked at the value of UH degrees, an associate degree worth about three hundred thousand in additional lifetime earnings over a high school graduate bachelor's degree worth about 1.5 million in additional lifetime earnings beyond a bachelor degree holder. Graduate degrees worth about 2.87 million in additional lifetime earnings over a high school degree only. So uh, they looked at just the class of 2020 and their estimate was that out of those 9,300 plus degrees that were earned, that will result in an additional $7 billion over the lifetime of those 9,345 graduates. So it's an incredible value for both the state and for our graduates. So when we look at the budget cuts, um, I have to say we were caught by surprise by what came out of conference, which really appeared to take place mostly in the last couple days um, of the legislative session. Um, the House operating budget, which came out first, uh, inclusive of both general funds and ARPA funds. Uh, we were looking at a cut of about $15 million for two years across all 10 campuses. The Senate, uh, the economy was improving. The Senate operating budget, again, general funds plus ARPA funds. Uh, there was actually an increase to the UH budget in the Senate budget of over 12 million in both sources of funding. So the conference budget that came out in the last couple days we were surprised, frankly, and you know the building was closed. We didn't have the usual conversations that we would have, and lots of people have commented on that. But we went from a cut of 15 million to then an increase of 12 million to a cut of over 85 million across the system. And what was particularly um, devastating to us was the um, focus on UH Manoa to take the brunt of that cut. This is while UH Manoa is experiencing the largest increase in enrollment of any part of the UH system. It's a major driver of the extramural uh, funding and philanthropy that contributes to that economic impact across the entire state. It's the major source in this state of teachers, engineers, nurses, social workers, public health professionals. It's the major source of the research that addresses the challenges and opportunities facing Hawaii, everything from sea level rise 
improving cancer care for Hawaii's people and people of the Pacific, which face different kinds of health disparities than the cancer research that's done primarily on the continent. Um, and, you know, we were a little bit surprised that athletics was even cut $4 million across the UH system from the current operating budget. So um, lots of challenges there. Right now, we're looking at the opportunities. I've been in conversation with the governor um, about different ways that he can help. Um, uh, we'll be talking with the Board of Regents. Um, we will be going back and talking with legislators to try to understand you know, how much of this you know, were they all uh, supportive of. Um, and we're studying all of our options. Our hope uh, is to not go back to the furlough plan. Our hope is to not engage in um, uh, any kind of formal, um, well, we want to avoid workforce reductions where we can, um, but you know, we don't know if that'll be possible at this level of reduction. So I, I don't wanna, um, you know, I don't wanna make, it, make out that this is easy. It is certainly not where we expect it to be uh, during the spring as we saw the economy improving and as we saw what we thought was pretty good news um, um, based on what the budgets looked like. In the meantime, we're really planning to focus and, and I've been on talking with you previously on our commitment to really focus on what Hawaii needs most from its public university system over the course of these next uh, months and years to aid with economic recovery and the educational capacity of our people um, so that they can have great lives for their families and communities. You know, with that significant of a cut, we know that the governor can't necessarily add money back into that budget. But on that note, is there anything else that could be done maybe going into the next legislative se session to reallocate money uh, so that this funding gap is maybe only for half of uh, the expected time? I mean, what other means could maybe help? Absolutely. And, and frankly, um, you know, we're hopeful that in conversations with legislators, um, some of this could be reversed in the second year of the biennium. The state of Hawaii passes two years of budget at once, but there's a second bite at the apple in the 2022 session for the next fiscal year. The governor may also have access to um, some other kinds of funds that he can help with, but you know we're not helpless. We also want to look at all of our sources of funding. We need to be um, accountable and responsible um, to use all the resources we have to do so effectively, um, to reduce costs wherever we have. But you know, to Stephanie's question, by far the largest portion of our budget is goes to payroll. So you know, ways that we can um, contain our payroll expenses have to be part of it. And some of that is about reorganizing and to the extent possible, um, you know, we would like to protect our current workforce to the extent possible. You know, you mentioned 9,300 students, I believe you said in the class of 2020. Tell us a little bit about enrollment right now. What is that looking like, especially uh, in the year coming up? So, um, Right now, um, we've just started the registration process. So only about half of our students are registered. And that's when we really start counting them. Um, we're about 6% ahead across the entire UH system. Um, we look at the numbers almost every day, many of us. Manoa actually starts registration a little bit later this year. So they're looking down, other parts of the system are up. Uh, but we also look at the leading indicators like applications, acceptances, and we think when people pay their deposit, that's a pretty good sign. And um, 
UH Manoa, obviously the largest part of our system and the um, part of the system that's experienced the largest uh, growth in enrollment, uh, in headcount enrollment over the past year. Um, all of those numbers are substantially higher right now than last year, which was an increase over the previous year. And that's across both new freshmen and transfer students in all the major, major categories we look at, residents, non-resident, domestic, and international. So, you know, we don't count them until they uh, register and pay us tuition, but the leading indicators are good. Um, you know, the registration numbers are good for community colleges, which have struggled across the country. Um, while we've lost enrollment in our community colleges, our uh, loss to date has been much, much lower than the national de decline in community college enrollment. So we're feeling good about our um, enrollment numbers. We're feeling really good about our philanthropy numbers. Um, we have now surpassed this year our total for last year, which was about the best year we'd had without what I'll call a unicorn gift, like a Jay Scheidler or a Moore Foundation kind of 40 million, $125 million gift. Um, so we're plugging along um, to continue to increase our philanthropy. And we really appreciate the support from the community. And our extramural funding is, is also um, quite a bit up this year over last year, which also was the best year we'd had since the um, ARRA Stimulus Act uh, at, at the time of the last recession. So pretty much everything's looking good except our legislative funding, to, to, to be frank. Uh, you, you know, there was a, a recent report out that stated that one in four high school seniors here in Hawaii uh, have not met the requirements needed uh, for graduation, having to go to summer school. Are you at all concerned about the readiness of some of these incoming freshmen facing the challenges that they have uh, in their own academic uh, careers through this pandemic and the challenges that it has presented and then just being equipped to be able to to stay and keep up with the education standards of uh, some institutions like the University of Hawaii. Yeah, I'm, I'm deeply concerned. Um, and I think uh, everybody in Hawaii should be deeply concerned about both their readiness, but also uh, last year, the class of 2020 um, had one of the lowest, what we call going rates to college in, um, decades for the Department of Education. Only about 50% of the high school graduating class of 2020 uh, went on to college anywhere, not just UH. Um, and that is down from about 55% for the class of 2019. Um, so we'd really like to get that number up. Um, I wanna emphasize that our community colleges are open door. They're an amazing part of the University of Hawaii system. And we will take every one of those students and accept them in and try and help get them ready either for a community college degree or um, to transfer to one of our universities or even to transfer somewhere else if that's their choice or for career readiness. Um, it's an Community colleges are an amazing part of American higher education and especially here in Hawaii. We've got a great program that our community colleges have assembled with our Hawaii P20 Partnerships for Education program. It's called Next Steps to Your Future. You can Google it, www.hawaii.edu next steps. And what that program does is it provides um, nudge advising via text message for students trying to figure out 
Am I ready for the workforce? Should I go on into higher education? Is the military the right choice for me? We also offer free community college courses during the summer to help acclimate them to going to college. We absolutely believe going to college, and I shared the numbers with you already, is the best choice that an individual can make and that their family can encourage them to make um, to prepare for a better future for themselves, um, to have a more sustainable and abundant future. But we really wanna help those students um, appreciate that there's a place at the University of Hawaii for everyone who graduates from high school, whether they're ready, whether they uh, have anybody in their family, whoever attended college, um, we need to get them on the path to a better future. It's a really discouraging time, we know, and we're committed to be part of the solution. You know, we talked about sort of raw numbers when it comes to enrollment, but I'm curious to know the international students and, and how you're navigating that, because we know that they are a big part of the university as well. Um, their tuition dollars are obviously very important to the university's bottom line, and their, you know, their contribution to our community is also important. How are you navigating that right now? Because there are still so many COVID restrictions when it comes to international travel and whatnot. Well, um, we think we're pretty ready to bring them in. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to adhere to the travel requirements that are in place at the time. Typically, they would start arriving in July and August. Um, so if there's a testing requirement, then we'll adhere to that. Um, we have the capacity to do testing here at UH. Um, if they are um, vaccinated, our vaccination requirement extends to any of the, not only the vaccines that are approved, within the US, but also those that have been approved by uh, the World Health Organization, WHO. So if they've been vaccinated with something that's approved in their country, we'll accept that as fulfilling the vaccination requirement. Um, and, and we think it's eminently doable. If they are not vaccinated, then we'll need to keep them safe. We'll probably test them upon arrival. Um, we'll see if they need to be quarantined. There's some thinking that if we can get the first vaccination shot in them, that that provides some level of protection and maybe they can start participating while masked up until they become you know, what we call fully vaccinated two weeks after their last shot. So um, it does not appear to be a challenge. It will be additional work, but we're up for it. We would like to welcome them back. And um, as I mentioned right now, our application admission and deposit numbers are up from inter for our international students, which is a great sign. It's, it's, you know, we like the revenue, of course, but it also really helps diversify our campus community, especially for our local students who may have never left Hawaii. It gives them an opportunity to interact with people from other countries who they might not have encountered while going to um, public or private school here. You know, we are running out of time, but I have to ask you this uh, as someone with athletic background. Um, I wanted to ask you about athletics program and, and looking forward what that experience looks like for fans. I mean, you and I had the opportunity of being in Columbus, right. Ohio with fans in the stand to see what a difference that makes. Uh, what does that look like, the reality for UH in the fall? Um, do you believe that we will see fans in the stand sheriff center? Uh, do you believe, you know, with the improvements that are being made to the Clarence C.C. Ching complex? Uh, talk about that experience overall and what the university is doing to help prepare for that? Yeah, I, I don't wanna get ahead of the formal guidance um, because this is this is certainly changing over time, uh, but I, I believe that we, it will be possible to have fans. Um, I think we're looking at the extent to which a vaccination requirement for fans 
will help us and them provide a safe and enjoyable fan experience. Um, I think that will change requirements around physical distancing and masking. Um, and obviously, you know, masking requirements and physical distancing impacts the experience for the fans, you know, being part of, you know, a really loud, raucous cheering group. So that's what we're shooting for. But um, I want to emphasize, we will be following state and county guidance. Um, and we see it as the vaccination numbers for the state continue to increase as our understanding of science and vulnerabilities increases. I feel pretty good about, you know, where we're headed as a university system and as a state about um, getting closer to a substantial return to normalcy. And I think the decision of the DOE to return to in-person instruction is, is also a part of the sign. We're making our plans now for, you know, bringing our workforce back. Most of our white collar workforce has been working from home um, over this, you know, really for more than a year now. And so we want to get them back to our campuses as well for the fall semester. Just want to get your final thoughts. As Ryan said, we're just about out of time. But, you know, one thing that the article that Andrew put it, uh, wrote in the paper yesterday, which really highlighted is that even if you're not a student or you don't have a student who is enrolled, uh, what happens to the university, university system really does matter for all of us. So we'd just like to get your thoughts on that uh, yeah, as it plays out. I mean, I, I can't say I'm unbiased on this, but I think across almost every dimension, the University of Hawaii is the single institution most important to the future of this state. Um, we prepare people for jobs, for the workforce. We prepare people to solve the problems that Hawaii's facing now in the future. Uh, we contribute to the economy on every single island. Um, and we contribute to the earning potential of every student we touch who earns a degree uh, from us, which, you know, again, this year is in the range of 10,000. That's about as many as the number who graduate from our public high schools each year. Um, so there's no better investment uh, for this state than in the university. And it's my job and all of us at the university need to convey that to public policymakers and lawmakers. Okay, UH President David Lassner, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, a lot to talk about, but we certainly appreciate the update. Yeah. And uh, best of luck to you and, and the students as we look forward to uh, this fall semester. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Aloha. Thank you. Great to hear from him. Interesting to hear his thought process when it comes to requiring, you know, mandating the vaccine for basically everyone on campus and how they're figuring that out. Um, you know, he did emphasize that that is not going into effect until the vaccine is formally approved by the FDA, which should happen relatively quickly. Uh, we are expecting that soon. Um, and, you know, just his thoughts on getting back in person and, and the possibility, too, I thought was interesting of perhaps requiring fans to show some kind of vaccine verification so they can have that uh, that in-game, in-person experience that you were referencing in Columbus and beyond. Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the things that was also highlighted was, uh, you know, the president saying, hey, this vaccination and, you know, verification of some point is, is nothing new, that they do require this for other vaccine shots that people have to get uh, in order for students to enroll in campus. And so he kind of expounded on that about those decisions. And again, a lot of it coming from what we're seeing throughout the nation and other campuses uh, deciding to also take this route. And so the University of Hawaii uh, made that approach and made that decision based on 
some of the recommendations, of course, that they were receiving from the health department, but also in factoring what was happening on a national level. Most significant, I think, in that conversation was those deep cuts that uh, came unexpected, as we learned, as he said, uh, to the University of Hawaii system, about 90 million uh, over the span of two years, uh, and the significant impact that that will have, not only in the UH campus, but just the overall impact uh, to the state economy. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance, please go back and go to the Star Advertiser's homepage or grab yesterday's paper. Andrew Gomes had a really lengthy write-up on that UHERO report um, and just the broad impact that 90 million extends to hundreds of millions of economic impact, not just for the people who are on campus, but really to us as a state. Um, and, and as you noted, very interesting to hear uh, that, that they were sort of caught flat-footed on that. Initially, they thought, you know, $15 million in cuts, then they thought maybe even a budget increase, and then to find out at the very end that they had been cut that $90 million and, and sort of trying to figure out how to restore that money. So the next time the governor's on, we will definitely be asking him uh, about what can be done. You know, he can't replenish the coffers, uh, but there perhaps are some other ways that he can help the university. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking to him about that. Uh, switching gears again, we have a full week of guests coming up on Wednesday. We'll be speaking with Ann Pereira Stockwheel from, of course, the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations. We'll be talking to her about the updates that are required for those who are seeking unemployment and the verification that those individuals are out looking for a job that was uh, that will be reinstated. Uh, so we wanted to get her thoughts about that as well as any other updates. We know that there are still some issues that are happening there with people waiting to get uh, some of their unemployment benefits. It's always great to get an update from her. So we're looking forward to that conversation on Wednesday. That's right. And then on Friday, Dr. Libby Char, who heads the Department of Health, will be joining us. We want to get her thoughts on, you know, Hawaii continuing the vaccine mandate despite the CDC's, rec I'm not vaccine, excuse me, the mask mandate, despite the CDC's allowance now for people to shed the mask if you are fully vaccinated. Um, you know, what does she think about that? Presumably she is advising the governor and has been in talks with that. So we want to uh, dive deeper into that and also get her thoughts on vaccine mandates, in-person school, uh, all the things that we have been talking about for so many months. We always like talking to Dr. Char. So again, we'll be having her on Friday and Ann Pereira-Eustaquio on Wednesday. So we do hope to see you right back here at 1030. Aloha. We'll see you then.